Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, the strong and powerful Denise Logan. Denise, are you ready to do this? I am. Hello, George. Hello. <laughs> Let's do this. Denise is the Chief Inspiration Officer at Chase What Matters. She is known as the ultimate go-to person for shifting perspective, jump-starting burned-out professionals mojo, and creating brand evangelists from organizations' diverse stakeholders. She's also an expert in helping business owners transition to the next stages of life. So excited to have you on the Money Savage podcast, Denise. You are a a former guest of the Figure It Out podcast, so it's so great to have you back on. If you would, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why it is you do what you do. Ah, thanks, George. I live here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I love it. We don't shovel sunshine here, and that makes it a perfect <laughs> place for me. Um The reason I do this work, let me start there. The company is called Chase What Matters. And the reason I do this work is I saw years ago as I was exiting my own business that it was a choppy exit that I made. And I built a large law firm and then woke up one day and realized I hate my life. I basically built my prison instead of my castle. Right. And I had no one there to help me work through that transition. Certainly people were focused on the legal and transactional and the the financial aspects, but no one was focused on the emotional part of how I let go of my business as a business owner and move to something else. And after several years off in a motorhome, I think we've talked about that on another podcast – Um, I joined another company that was called Pinnacle Group. It was a large financial services recruiting firm. And when I joined them, the plan was always to build the business, grow it, sell it. And when we reached a point to be able to sell it, I watched the seller have a difficult time letting go. We got to the altar several times with a buyer and he was unprepared to let go. And it made me see how whether you let go too quickly or you can't let go at all, there was a need for the emotional part to be handled for a business owner. So what I do is I'm a seller's transition coach. I say I'm the right brain member of any deal team. I like it. And that is, to your point, there's plenty of and. They're all doing great work. There's plenty of folks out there that that really concentrate on the technical aspects, the legal aspects, the financial aspects, but that whole other important part and tougher part and messier part, the the emotions that go along with it, um, how you manage all that is is an underserved and 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 and, and much needed part. So I guess yeah. there's so much to talk about, but how what's the what's the essential first step is it a business owner realizes maybe it's time or so really interesting all business owners will leave their business some will leave voluntarily and some will leave involuntarily through the failure of the business or through death and really dying at your desk is not an exit strategy right right <laughs> the research shows that only 45% of business owners feel prepared for retirement. And many of them worry about outliving their money, 
But I often talk to them about what if you run out of life before you run out of money? Hmm. And how is that received usually? (laughs) (laughs) So I often come into the process through a couple of different ways. Sometimes I come in directly through a business owner and sometimes I come in through a lawyer or a banker or an accountant or a wealth manager or a family member who realizes, ah, the owner of this business is having a really hard time preparing or even thinking about preparing to leave their business. And so it's a matter of just helping them realize or, because I imagine that a lot of really, really successful people that have started businesses, they're probably, probably drivers, they're probably type A personalities, and maybe a lot of them are not used to talking about their feelings. Absolutely. And, you know, there are a number of reasons why owners don't think about selling their business. Number one, they're busy. They're focused on running their business. And if you were to ask them when they plan to leave, the bulk of owners will say, when I have enough. So part of the process is helping them to identify what is enough. And that certainly is a financial aspect. But one third of business owners plan to wait to retire until they're 70. The number of people who can work and run their business until 70 is less than that number who plan to. Right. Some of the reasons why owners don't think about leaving their business or selling their business or exiting Number one is fear of the unknown. What will I do with myself? Who will I be if I'm not the owner of this business? You know, for many of them, owning and running their business gives their life a sense of meaning and purposefulness. And they worry that if I'm not running this business, who will I be? I often hear from owners when I start working with them, well, I'm not going to sit around and do nothing. I'm like, oh, who told you that? Of course, you're not going to sit around and do nothing. But the answer that they often give is I'll play golf and I'll travel. And of course you will for a short period of time. And then we need something deeper, greater, something that gives more meaning and more purposefulness to a life. Yeah. And it, it's so interesting. It, you and I have talked about in the past this idea that we really ought not define ourselves by the work that we do, but that's really what so many of us do. Um, and so, and that's not necessarily good or bad. I'm, I, I agree with you that, that I don't think that we should define ourselves that way, but people that have spent so much time working in whatever it is that they're doing and building this company does really become their identity for, for a lot of people. So it's tough. Yeah. And, you know, George, it makes sense because almost everywhere we go, the first question we're asked is, what do you do? Whether or not asking that question makes sense in the context of it. And for most business owners, actually for most of us, whether we own our business or not, if we have identified with our work as our primary identity, the thought that that will no longer be our identity is terrifying. And leaving a business can feel like a loss of social social status, but also a sense of identity. Think about how many people are socializing directly with other people from work. And so instead of thinking, as soon as I sell the business and make enough money, all of the rest of this will fall into place. Smart business owners 
start making this plan. Typically, 18 months, three years, five years before they sell their business. Got it. Well, and all that makes sense to me because it's particularly, I mean, I don't know how many businesses that you work with that are family businesses, um, but there's so many different layers. And I know that we're going to talk about all the different parties that, that, that go into that, that the more planning that you're able to do, the better. Is it, I'm, I'm, I'm always curious. I think that, that expectations and agreements are are paramount to any kind of a relationship. And you talked about setting parameters like a certain value that you want to get for the business. Um, and that made me think about this idea of short deadlines and high expectations. Um, how important and how challenging is it to get that agreement up front of, okay, we're going to engage in this process. Here's the number or here's the amount of time that we're going to set for you to actually exit the business? Right. So can I tell you a story of one Please. client? Does that make sense? So I was brought into a family-run business. It was a multi-generational business. And the youngest generation was planning to take over the business sooner than the prior generation was ready to let go of the business. And so we'll call it um, the son and the father, just for simplicity. So when I first came into the transaction, the son was kind of um, ants in his pants, ready to take over the business right away. And the dad wasn't ready to go. And the first thing that I did, the father said, well, here's how much money I need to make from the sale of the business. And I said, that's a really good thing. How do you know that's how much money you need to make. And they were headed toward getting a valuation on the business. And the first thing I did is I said, let's try to slow the process down a little bit. Instead of looking at how much money you need, how do you know what you'll spend that money on? So what we did was we agreed to slow the process down and back it up. First, we would create a personal transition plan for he and his spouse. So we would look at what is the first year the first two years, the first three years, the first five years of retirement, and really getting quite clear about what things they would do, not just travel, but where, for how long, by what means, what other things would they do? We started to look at the holistic process of, and what else will you fill your time with? Once we had that plan in place, then they could take that plan to their financial planner their wealth manager, and sort out how much will that cost? Instead of backing into it saying, all right, here's how much money we need, and then what will we do with our life? Once we had that clarity, then the financial planner was able to say, based on the life you want to live, here's actually how much you need. Got it. So it's moving from the abstract to the tangible, and that's an excellent framing exercise right there. Because yeah. it's, it's like just, oh, I'm going to retire, just like what you're talking about. Well, what in the world does that even mean? And what's that going <laughs> to look like every day? So it's hard for us to yeah. get our arms around that. I think that's excellent. Okay. So it was super helpful for the wealth manager, too, simply because the wealth manager was otherwise having to just plan on an abstract concept. So let's assume you live to 95, and at 95, at you know, 70% of your current earnings, here's how much you need without ever knowing 
what will that really look like? So once they had the clear plan about what the first five years of retirement would look like, that became a super compelling vision of the future to pull them forward through the exit process. Then we could look at, then we brought in a valuation professional so that a valuation professional of the business could then look at how much is the business presently worth. And we could look at the gap between how much does this family need for the future that they're planning and how much is the, pre- the business presently worth. That makes for a much smoother better business sale than to pull a number out of our head and be able to say, I need X number of millions of dollars for the business, whether or not that will A, be satisfying for the life they want to live and B, even reasonable. And most business owners get focused on the financial part first, which makes total sense. And then they get partway through the exit and get scared because the emotional part hasn't been incorporated. Cold feet, <laughs> standing <laughs> standing at the front of the church. Exactly. And deals go sideways, not because of the deal terms. Deals go sideways because someone understandably got scared. Can I tell you another story about a different situation? Love stories, please. <laughs> so this was the sale of a business. It was an $85 million sale and they were eight weeks from the close. And suddenly the seller announced that he would not take one penny less than nine times EBITDA, Mm. which was not what he had originally agreed to. So the banker called me at that point and said, the seller's gone crazy. What can we do? I said, I don't know, but let me step in. So what had happened is the seller's original plan was to sell the business, buy a sailboat and sail around the globe. Pretty good plan. And with $85 million, you could buy a pretty dang good sailboat, I think. And so what had happened is two weeks before he asked for his unicorn of nine times EBITDA, his wife had said to him, I ain't doing that. I am not going off in a sailboat with you around the globe. I do not want to be away from my grandchildren. And I don't even like sailing. (laughs) Right. And often people say, well, why didn't she raise that earlier? Come on, George, you're married. You don't raise every single thing. Right. And your wife doesn't raise every single thing. You pick your battles. Correct. Correct. And so in this situation, when his wife said, I don't want to do that, I don't want to be away from my grandchildren. He was not going to come back to the deal team and say, deals off. My wife won't let me do what I want to do. There's no way he's going to do that. Instead, he came back to the deal team and asked for something that they couldn't produce so that when they couldn't produce it, it was his opportunity to kill the deal and save face. And that happens so much. So in this particular situation, once I got involved, I did some work with the seller and I sorted out what had happened. And then I did work with him individually and with his wife individually, and I brought them together and negotiated a solution where he would buy the sailboat and sail. And every six weeks, she would fly to where he was with one grandchild. They would do two weeks on land, building memories with this child, and she would fly home with the child and he would sail on. And from there, the deal got back on track and closed just like it was scheduled to be. I love it. That that is awesome. Compromise is a beautiful thing. 
<laughs> and, you know, the reality is that someone on the deal team is already doing this work. It could be the lawyer, it could be the banker, it could be the wealth manager, it could be a family member, and they're doing it unwillingly and unwittingly. And so having someone in that process early on, I build trust early on with the seller and create a safe space for all of those ups and downs that are naturally going to happen in the sale of a business, for them to have a safe place to talk it through, someone to help make sense of it, and to also create an emotional presence with the other members of the team instead of paying the lawyer to do it who's thinking, just get this over with already. Right. Yeah. Well, it's certainly in the absence of someone like you, there will be somebody who's trying to keep the wheels on this thing. And I would have to imagine that uh, it's probably somebody who's not equipped to deal with the, uh, with the, with the emotional side. So I see immense value in the work that you're doing. And appreciate that it is very much a, a transition and not a transaction when somebody exits a business. Absolutely. And it makes sense that anytime we're in transition, it's going to stir up emotion, even if you're going to something wonderful. So the more real that we can make that future for the seller, the easier it is to come back on track and to keep coming back to, oh, this is where we're headed. This is where we're headed. And I think the flaw in, uh, I call it the sailboat case, one of the flaws that happened in that particular transaction, I think, was that no one did that emotional work early on with the seller and his spouse. They took at face value, oh, you have a plan, fine. As long as you have a plan, we're good to go. Mm -hmm. Right. Trust but verify. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, for a seller, it can often feel like they're dropping into a black hole. They're focused completely on running this business. And all of a sudden, when that happens, that they are on the other side of the sale, there's a huge letdown that happens. And I had a situation that I was involved in not long ago, and it was the founder of a business um, in his middle 30s, sold his business and netted $16 million. So he certainly netted a good amount of money for that time in his life. And one of the things that he saw was, wow, all of his playmates were working during the day. (laughs) And he hadn't really planned for that. And when he said to one of his friends, wow, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. What his friend said, which is a totally natural response, oh, boo-hoo, sad for you. I wish I had your big sad problem. Right. (laughs) And I understand why his friend said that to him, but the problem didn't go away. It just went underground Mm -hmm. and became a bigger problem. And so when I first started working with him, he said, you know, I feel like I'm wasting my life. I need to get back in the game and hurry up. And he was on the process of buying another business just so he didn't have to live with the discomfort of figuring out what came next. Well, imagine that happens all too often. Right. And we can think that as long as I make enough money from the sale of the business, none of that will be my problem. But it's always there under the surface. Well, Denise, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Ah, A detailed plan with real clarity about a personal exit plan makes for the most successful business exit. 
Because when you chase what matters and do what counts, everything has more meaning. Chase what matters and do what counts. I love it. That is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. So, (laughs) Denise, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Uh, My company is called Chase What Matters, and the website is chasewhatmatters.com, but there's a dash between each word, chase-what-matters.com, and the dash is there to remind you to pause a little bit. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Denise your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. I will list Uh, The Chase What Matters, just in case you weren't able to follow uh, in the notes of the show. Thank you again, Denise. Thanks, George. Always great to visit with you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!